Hey friends, welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. My name's Matt. We're so glad you're tracking with us. Jesus Collective is a new relational network of churches and leaders with a vision to unite, amplify, and equip this Jesus-centered movement that God is raising up all over the place. During this pilot season, we're experimenting with different ways to build relationships with people in this movement, to put language to what Jesus-centered means, and to have meaningful and honest equipping conversations about the issues and opportunities facing our churches in this increasingly post-Christian context we find ourselves in. So, this podcast is one of those tools. You might find a number of different types of conversation formats shared here, and we hope you find it meaningful and engaging. You can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find information about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff, at our microsite at JesusCollective.com, or you can find us on social media. And hey, we love hearing feedback and ideas and just meeting new Jesus-y people, so you can always reach out by email at connect at JesusCollective.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Well, hello, Meeting House. It is always a blast to come up here uh, and be with you folks and spend some time with Bruxy. I love Bruxy. He's my favorite squishy friend. Uh, I, he's just, he just he's, he's a teddy bear. He's a walking teddy bear. He's just so fun. And it is, uh, if, among other things, it's just nice to get up here and the air's a little cleaner and thinner up here in the north somehow and it's, the atmosphere's a little better and Thank you for giving me a break to get out of America right now. I needed a break. It's not because of the weather. Pray for us. <laughs> Pray for us. We need help down there, man. I tell you, it is getting really screwy. Okay, so uh, this, 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 this kind of dates me, um, but I can't think of an analogy that has in a more recent film, so I'll go with it. Uh, who knows where this song comes from? It's not really a song. It's more of a sound. da, 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 da. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right, with Richard Dreyfuss. I think it's a 1985 movie or whatever. But in this movie, uh, there are people who have these random encounters with these aliens. A UFO flies over or whatever. And whatever uh, these folks, uh, all the people who came in contact with these aliens, what happens is, once they come in contact with these aliens, they have a picture in their mind of a plateau, and they can't get rid of it. It's like they all have developed this OCD and they're picturing this plateau, uh, and they end up, they compulsively make plateaus out of their potatoes or their, their cornflakes or uh, out of some, some uh, clay or out of their garden where they just draw pictures of it. But this plateau's on their mind. It's, it's, it's all the same for them, or at least very similar for, for, e- for e- each one of them. Turns out that that, that plateau in their head that they, that they can't get rid of is a sort of homing device. It's there to kind of point them true north. It's, it's supposed to lead them to a certain location where the aliens want to have a rendezvous uh, with, with uh, humans, a close encounter of the third kind. And some of these folks are lucky enough to kind of all of a sudden find out that this plateau that they're seeing in their head is an actual plateau. Maybe they see it on the television or something, but, and they start to make their way to that plateau. And so all over the planet, these people who have gotten been, been touched by the aliens, uh, they're, they're slowly making their way to this rendezvous point. And as they're making their way to the rendezvous point, they bump into others. And, 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 and it's like, I, I thought I was crazy with this, this vision in my head, but here are these people who have had the exact same thing. And they can understand me. And they're going in the same direction. Cool show. And then they have a close encounter. Um, seems to me that something like that is going on in the world right now. Uh, the last 15 years, I've just been experiencing this, and I'm not hardly alone. Bruxy is aware of it. A lot of people are aware of it. Um, people are catching a vision for the, a kingdom that's very different from the Christianity that they have, have known. Uh, people are waking up to 
The truth is that the New Testament presents us with a Jesus-looking God who's raising up a Jesus-looking people in a Jesus kind of way. And sadly, that is, for a lot of Christians, a brand new message. This beautiful God who's beautifying people who are then to beautify the world in a, in a Christ-like kind of way. It's happening all over the place. Now, I wasn't aware of it. And most people aren't aware of it until about oh, 15 years ago or so. Around 2004, um, well, Woodland Hills has been on for, for 15 years on, on this learning curve all through the 90s. We, we, were, we, we started as a kind of pretty typical American evangelical church. Uh, but it, it just as time went on, we began to just go in this kingdom direction. I, I, I began to see things I'd never seen before. I, 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 you, know, you really begin to see that God is altogether beautiful, that Jesus isn't just one revelation of God among others, but the revelation that culminates and supersedes all others. Begin to wake up to the centrality of nonviolence and loving your enemies. I remember the time when I first read the verse, and I had read it before, but it, it just didn't, my eyes, my, I wasn't able to receive it. I wasn't ready for it. But when Jesus says, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I say unto you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's like, you mean we're supposed to be imitating this? <laughs> we're supposed to be living this way? It's like, boom, this, this isn't just a faith thing, a belief thing, this is a, this is a life-transforming thing, this is a thing that's supposed to be happening now, and all through the 90s, kept on getting you know, insights like that, how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdoms of this world, and how wrong it is to try to co-opt the kingdom of God to make it a new and improved version of the kingdoms of this world. We were on this trajectory, and then in 2004, in the heat of this very divisive election that we were having. And all the, the right-wing political machine in America was going overboard, pulling out all the stops, trying to get all the pastors in America to make sure that they were steering their flock in the right way to vote, because you know there's only one right way to vote. So I was getting some of this, and, and, and folks are like, how come we don't have a flag in this church? Everyone else does. How come we don't celebrate the 4th of July? Everyone else does. How can we don't? So I thought, this is a teaching moment. And so we... Spent six weeks in a series outlining why it is that we don't have a flag and why it is that we're not going to be jumping on any bandwagon for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or any party, and so on and so on. And that caused a little bit of a stirring in our church. A thousand people ended up leaving. My, my board wanted to send me out on the road to have a church-shrinking seminar. Uh, <laughs> you have all these church growth seminars. This is how to fit it out, how to get a Gideon's, Gideon's army. Weed it down. But see, I, I, I'm so glad we did this. It was, it was a turning point for us. Um, and, and what happened is that that got us on the radar screen. Uh, it got picked up in the New York Times and blah, blah, blah. And, and we, we also got on people's radar screen. And we began to hear from people in the strangest of places. Uh, in China and Russia and uh, parts of Africa, Argentina and Brazil. And, and folks were saying basically... Me too. Uh, I, I've been on that same journey. I've been waking up to the same things, discovering the same God, discovering the same grace, experiencing the same kind of transformation, being liberated by this. All over the place, people are being touched by this alien God, as it were, and they got a vision in their head and they can't let go of it and they're kind of OCD and they're heading in a certain direction. They don't know for sure where they're, where they're going, but they know that this is where they're supposed to be. All over the place. God's pouring out new wine and it's blowing apart old wineskins. People are... I have the privilege of being able to travel around some and witness some of the beautiful ways these folks experiencing this new wine are doing church. I mean, they got 
This is not your father's church. It's just some folks are they're setting up church under, under bridges or in, in this, the worst sections of town where the druggies are and the prostitutes are and, and, and where they're, they're, they're having various churches where there's one church I know in Scotland where they, Muslims and Christians come together to pray for one another. Because uh, they're all seeking asylum. And, and this couple just said, hey, how do we serve you? What do you need? And they said, well, we're trying to get asylum. So they said, well, we'll help you with that. Come over to our house and we'll pray for you. And, and that person got asylum and word started to catch on. That these Christians have a 100% batting average when it comes to getting people asylum. And the average nationally is 25%. So these Muslims are all like spreading the news. These Christians will pray for you and you'll get asylum. It's causing like a revival happen among these. So they come together and they, and they pray for, they have a person sit in the chair who's up for asylum. And the Muslims and the Christians pray together. You talk about a diverse church. <laughs> we got churches that split because they can't agree on the color carpeting that they're supposed to have. And here we got Muslims and Christians praying together. And it's beautiful. And some of them come to Christ and are transformed by it and become missionaries. God's pouring out new wine. It's one of our old wineskins, and it's just beautiful. People are getting the radical edge of this whole thing. And the thing that I, I it's not just about beliefs. But there's a, there, there is, you go, some, the beliefs may be different, some of the practices may be different, but there's a flavor. Like, you can be with these folks, and there is just a kingdom of God atmosphere. There's a humility there. There's a servant mindset. There's a lack of a religious arrogance uh, there's lack of judgment. It's, it's a kingdom flavor thing that's happening all over the place. What is most beautiful about it, folks, is that God's doing it. There's not like one person strategizing this. This isn't a reflection of how smart somebody is or a reflection of one person's theology or one person's organizational skills. It's not a human-made thing. It's a God thing. God's just doing it around the globe. There's this grassroots movement that, 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 that's, that's, that's moving up. It's, it's rising at the same time, and there's no human explanation for it. It's just it's happening. And I just love it. I believe we are at the cusp of something that is just huge. And there's a lot of people who are seeing this, this thing that's rising up. It's like Christendom, which is this model of the church that we've had since, since the 4th century, about the church is going to be militant and triumphant and we're going to win and all that kind of stuff. That has been dying for hundreds of years. The last real stronghold for this Christendom model is, is America. The church triumphant. We're going to take America back for God kind of thing. But out of the rubble of that, as it's been decaying, out of the rubble of that, God is rising up. A beautiful movement of people who just get that it's about worshiping a Jesus-looking God, being transformed into a Jesus-looking people to transform the world in a Jesus kind of way. And it's absolutely beautiful. I am convinced that the, we're, we're living at the first stages of this. And I think that this will, in 50 to 100 years, change the face of what the church looks like. As that Christendom model keeps on dying, just let it die. That arrogant, we're going to save the world kind of model. That we get all the answers kind of a model. That individualistic, consumeristic, uh, culture-conforming model of the church. Uh, that, that, that fusion of politics and religion model of the church. It is dying, praise God. But out of this place is rising something that's really, really beautiful. A Jesus-looking, humble, servant, enemy-embracing kind of a people. Who love like Jesus, look like Jesus, embrace like Jesus, tear down walls like Jesus tears down walls. Will somebody say amen? This thing is just beautiful. It's going on all around the place. It's, it's a, I, I, I think this, honestly, I think this, we're part of something that, that it'll make the reformation of the 
16th century, the Protestant Reformation looked like a little hiccup because this is changing the fundamental structure of the way people think about God and the way people do life and the way people do church. It's just beautiful. But here's the thing. It's not a movement yet. It's, it's, it, it's an inchoate movement. It's a proto-movement. It's the beginning of something. And a lot of folks are saying, it. gosh, there's this, this, this family resemblance happening all over the place. But it's not an identifiable movement. It's not something you could yet say there's an us to it. It doesn't have enough cohesiveness yet. What happens is people get this revelation, however it comes to them, an individual or a house church, or it could be a traditional church, they get the revelation, and they don't know what to do. A lot of them feel crazy because no one else thinks like this. I've talked to so many folks, I'm sure Bruxy has too, that we're... And it's like they get this revelation, they can, they feel disenfranchised from their traditional church. That flag waving church, the military supporting church, the patriotic church, the God bless America first church, and they, 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 they no longer feel consistent with that, but they don't know the alternative. So they write meeting house, so they write building hills, so they write, there's hundreds of churches out there, or kind of hubs out there that, 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 that folks can tap into, that are talking along these streams, and they ask questions like this. Um, are there others who believe this? Because I've been thinking I'm crazy. Are there, I, where's my tribe? How do I get connected to other people? And they're asking questions like, how do I get involved? This seems so beautiful. It seems so real. I, I want my life to count. How do I get involved? I'm just the average person changing tires in a tire shop tw- eight hours a day. What do I do to get involved? Or they're asking questions like, how, how can I get resources? How can I get educated? I want to learn more about this, or I want to learn how to, how to, how to start a house church, or whatever. And I can't take three years off to go to, to, to seminary. What do I do? And um, see, folks, this is why, at this stage of this movement, and see, what's beautiful, folks, is that we're at, the, we're at the cusp of this, and history shows that what goes on in the first generation of the movement defines the movement. The only reason Luther and Calvin are such big names in Protestantism is because they were the first generation to write as this Reformation was going on. I would argue that there's theologians that were a little smarter, a little sharper, but they wrote at the right time. They, they got to set the structure of the thing. So folks, we are in this Kairos moment where this movement is rising up, and we get to pour into this. We get to shape this. It is an, ex- it is an exciting time to be alive. This is what they call a Kairos moment, a divine moment. Not all moments in history are equal. In some moments, there's a lot more potential for change than there are for others. And we are in one of those moments, folks. This rising revolution. And see, this is why the Jesus Collective, I think, is the perfect idea at the perfect time. This is exactly what this movement needs now, or this proto-movement needs. Uh, there's informal networks that, 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 that get formed around various ministries as these people who have been touched by this vision kind of find folks who are teaching this, preaching this, but it's, it's yet, as of yet, no one's talking to everybody. There's, there's not a connectedness. We need a hub of sorts. And this movement will be bigger than this hub. It is bigger than this hub. It's bigger than Meeting House. It's bigger than Woodland Hills Church. It's bigger than Bruxy or Greg or the Pope or anybody. It's, it's a God thing. It's not a human thing. But, this is something we can begin to do to network this thing together. So this hub is there to, um, first of all, help people get connected. Is there a place to go where you can meet other like-minded people or other like-minded churches to start to talk to one another, learn from one another? And it's going to be there to, to, to help unite this thing and to resource this, to equip people, to motivate people. Uh, a, a training center of sorts. The thing I love about it is that it's also a thing where people don't just come to get, but churches come and, and, and say, here's what we have to offer. Do you know how much double shoveling there is in the, in, in the body of Christ? 
Every church has got to have their own thing because we don't want to be sharing it. It's just ridiculous. Like there's a church in our area that used to put on the best passion play ever. And, um, and it was great. And then someone in our church proposed that we do a passion play. It's like, why would we do that? We already got a really good one down the street. Uh, we're not going to be as good as they are, so let's just encourage people to go to that one. Why do we have to double shovel? Everyone's like, so how about if people come, or churches come to this, this hub and some say, hey, we have this to offer. We have this program here. And, and we have a way of like then coordinating that to offer people. Here's, we're connecting the dots between needs and the resources that have the needs, uh, to meet those needs. It's absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely necessary. It's a thing whose time has come. We all have a role to play in this, and I, I want to end with this, this, this kind of question. What is the role that God would have you play in this movement? Every church has got to ask this question. Every individual within every church has to ask this question. I love the fact, and I'm, I, hats off to Meeting House for the way they have put this together. Here's the thing. They, Meeting House put in all this money and all this time and all this work to create this thing because that's what you guys are good at. You guys are just good at creating out-of-the-box stuff. You really are. Very few churches can pull this off. So you guys have a gift here and, and you did it. And then you offer it to the broader body. It's beautiful. That's exactly the kind of Christ-like mindset that we need to have to, to move forward. Instead of just thinking, what's good for our little, our little thing here? What's good for our little church? Ask the question, what could we offer to the broader body? Of this broader movement. And so, if you guys are getting these kind of questions, chances are Woodland Hills and other churches are getting these kind of questions. So, if this is designed to address those kind of questions, offer it to, to others. I love the fact that, you see, in the kingdom, we shouldn't be worried about who's going to get the credit for what. No, it, it's like, whatever you've got to offer, you offer it to others. Individually and collectively, so the, the church as a whole benefits from it. And that's, what it, that, what, that's what's going on here. So Paul says this. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says that we are God's co-workers. Now, the word he uses there, co-workers, is it's synergeo. It comes from the, the prefix sin, which means alongside of. And then the word ergos, which means to work. Or the energy, literally. So it means bringing energy alongside of another. Syn- synergy. We get the word synergy from it. Synergos. The God is a triune God. And one of the things you get about the, the kingdom vision of God, the God revealed in Jesus, is that God's relational. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And everything God does, He does out of relationship. He doesn't like to monopolize and He doesn't coerce. The cross is the power of God and the cross is non-coercive. And so God wants to partner with us. This has been the, the goal from the start. Uh, he creates human beings in His image and says, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth and the animal kingdom. God wants to be Lord over the earth and the animal kingdom, but He doesn't want to do it alone. He wants partners. He's the God of love and does everything out of relationship. And so he invites us to be his partners, to take our energy and bring it alongside God's energy. It means that you really do matter. You really do contribute. You bring something to the table. Some folks out there believe that God just monopolizes everything, and they call that his glory. I've never seen what was glorious about that. What's glorious is a God who could do everything on his own, but wants to do things in relationship. And that means our lives count. You've got an energy, you've got a time, a talent, resources to bring to the table that the church needs, that God needs, for this movement to keep on going forward. And then he tells us how we're to partner with God in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. This passage really liberated me when I first really got it. When one of you says, 
I'm on Paul's side, and another says, I am for Apollos. Aren't you being totally infantile? Yes, you are. Wham, wham, wham. Who do you think Paul is anyways? Or Apollos, for that matter. I'll tell you who they are. They're servants. They're just servants. Servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignments. That's what we're called to do. Servant assignments. I planted the seed and Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Praise God. When I started Woodland Hills Church, you know, when you start, when you start a new church, 90% of the people who show up are going to be fickle. Because who else will show up at a new church? Uh, all, the, all the solid people are already committed. So you, you, you tend to get a high abundance of fickle people, and it will drive you crazy. Church planners, if you know this, if you're going to plant a church, prepare to go crazy, because the fickle people who show up will act very enthusiastic until they're tired, and there's a new show in town, and then they move on to that. So I, I, we started Willow Hills Church, and, and it grew really fast. I'm like, yeah, it's growing really fast. God is so good. And all of a sudden, it shrinks. It's like, oh, I must really suck as a preacher. But then it grows bigger. It's like, oh, yeah, it's growing big. And then it shrinks. It's like, oh, I must really suck or something's wrong. Same thing with the offering. After about six months of this, you know, you're on this yo-yo thing. Oh, it's great, it's bad, it's great, it's bad, it's terrible, it's, terrible, it's wonderful. And, and, and finally got it to kind of smack me around like he has to do once every once in a while. And I just said, Greg. And he pushed me to this verse. I call you to plant, I call you to water. I get the increase. I'm the only one who can grow things. You can grow pseudo things, but if you want kingdom stuff to grow, that's on me. So you plant and you water, but leave the increase to me. If it increases a little, great. If it increases a lot, great. Don't worry about that. Let that go. And ever since, I've had a thing where I only look at, am I preaching what I'm supposed to preach? And if I am, well, if two show up, wonderful. If 200 show up, wonderful. If two million show up, wonderful. But it doesn't matter. That's about God. And so, folks, here's the thing. It has to do with our lives. It has to do with this movement. Our job is to step up, do our part, our servant assignment, and to pour ourselves out passionately in what God calls us to do. Whatever it is, you've got something to offer, and we need it. The movement needs it. Do it with passion, but then have hands off. Do what God calls you to do, but don't own it. Do what God calls you to do, but don't have your ego wrapped up in it. There's a fallen human temptation. Of leaders to say, mine, my sheep, my church, my ministry. And they have a conference, they come together and compare their mys, you know, like, how big is your church steeple? You know, it's a little kind of, it's like, uh, just, for this thing to go forward, we need to be replicating what Meeting House did. You pour your best into it, you pour your all into it, it's sacrifice, that's what love is all about, and then you let it go. Because this movement, folks, it's not about any one person. It's not a human thing. It's not a human design thing. It's not going to be attached to anyone's name, about anyone's achievement, anyone's any particular theology. This is a God movement. It's a Jesus movement. It's a spirit movement, praise God. And our job is to be used by God, to, to, however we can be used with all of our passion, but then let it go. Don't grab onto it. Don't own it. Don't try to control it. Don't try to over-organize it. Just do what God calls you to do and let it go. Let Jesus be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let his name be on it and no one others. Amen? That's why it's called the Jesus Collective and not the George Collective. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. It really is an exciting time, you guys. Uh, catch the vision and be a part of this, this, this movement as it's going forward. Let me pray. Lord, uh, I just feel so blessed to be alive at this time. Uh, 
This is a mustard seed right now. It's very unformed right now. It's inconspicuous right now. It's off everyone's radar screen right now. But, Lord, that's kind of how you always operate. We pray, Lord, that this, this movement, just you fan the flames of this thing. And, God, be clear on showing each and every person in each church what role they are to play in this. We just seek to be used by you, to plant and water, to watch you bring increase to this beautiful movement that you've birthed in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know a little bit more about how to plug in on this, uh, in the bulletin you got some steps there you can take, real practical steps to take to become part of this thing. God bless you guys. Love talking with you. Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget to check in at JesusCollective.com where you can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find info about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff. Or you can find us on social media too. And listening is such an important part of our journey, especially in these early days. So you can feel free to reach out to us with ideas and feedback and suggestions. You can always connect with us by email at connect at JesusCollective.com. We'd love to hear from you.